This week on Her Herd, we're talking to Farmer Chris. Farmer Chris is a farmer, obviously, and he lives in northern New South Wales on a farm just outside of Urala um, with myself and our two sons, Edward and Charles, who is only just seven weeks old this week. He's going to talk us through male factor infertility and what it's like being a bloke in the bush who um, is going through this stuff. His major creative solution is um, our our nutritionalist, um, Monique, and she actually has a course um, that specialises in male factor fertility. And I really want to give her a shout out because... Monique is the kind of girl that if you have a bloke that likes a steak and a beer, she is able to talk to them and help them. So I really hope that you enjoy this episode. I hope that you've been able to corner your bloke in a car, vehicle, truck, tractor, wherever they are, out on a harvest header, um, somewhere, maybe a chaser bin even, and you're able to corner them and get them to listen to this episode. Uh, Farmer Chris makes it really clear at the end that if you're a bloke out there and you'd like someone to talk to, um, to go through this issue with, he's more than happy to have a yarn. I really hope you enjoy this episode. So, this Chris. Okay, so we are here with Farmer Chris, and Farmer Chris is actually my husband, um, and so he probably didn't have a lot of options to get roped into a project like this. Um, he, We haven't really talked a lot about what we're going to talk about. We've kind of just gone over what we might include. Um, so to give a bit of background information, um, Farmer Chris and I live on a... Um, grazing property southeast of Armadale, and you run sheep and cradle, don't you, Father Chris? Yeah, yes. Yeah. And um, pre- predominantly Herefords. He's got a uh, preference for, for something that's red and white. Did I say that correctly? Yes. <laughs> so, um, and uh, we have had our own journey, and I guess that's why that sparked my particular interest in it. But we started talking about this from um, both male and female rural perspectives when it was going happening to us. So from our perspective, a really kind of quick glance over our story is that we had two miscarriages and then um, our beautiful little boy, Eddie, in 2020, and then um, had some secondary um, infertility where we started seeking treatment and treatment was primarily focused on myself and then um, we had a little bit of a gear shift change when we had someone pretty awesome come into our lives, um, an allied health professional. But Chris will take us through that. I also want to warn everyone that we have a six-week-old, almost seven-week-old in the background. Um, so for both of us to be able to have done this today, we had to uh, mitigate Charlie. And Charlie is in here with us. So if you hear little squawks in the background, that's uh, dear old Charlie, who is the product of this amazing allied health professional, asking a few more questions. And I think um, the magic of that is because she is a creative solution um, that exists in um, rural communities. And she um, she asked more questions. And without her, I think we'd probably still be Well, we would have went and done full IVF, I think, 
would have been the case. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we would have been on the IVF train. Yeah, we would have definitely been on the IVF train. So um, she's – Monique is um, amazing and I'll talk about her more. I guess I'm really hesitant to share a lot of my story because – my creative solution was that in my community, not a lot of the services that I wanted, like a private obstetrician, private hospital, um, didn't exist. So I was very fortunate. I was able to mitigate that by going down to Sydney and I've had all my babies and treatments down in Sydney. Um, that's not a privilege that everybody experiences and I'm really aware of that. Um, so we thought a nice way of sharing what happened to us was to take Chris's perspective. So Chris, I'm going to take you to 2019. End of 2019 was a pretty nasty drought. Um, we particularly had a fair bit on our plate. My dad had just had a significant surgery where he'd had cancer and had an ear removed. Your dad's cancer had returned for the third time and he was looking down the barrel of some pretty extreme chemo in his 80s. Um, and we um, were – the drought was pretty bad. There was fires. Um, I remember those fires burning on our back door every day. The smoke was horrific. And we had just found out that September that we were pregnant. Um, but that pregnancy didn't last very long. We had a scan in Armadale done at six weeks, and there was a heartbeat, but then we went to Sydney and – um, at nine weeks, we found out that that baby had, um, it was a missed miscarriage, I guess you could use the a medical model terminology. And, um, so that would have been really tough to, to navigate was, I mean, we haven't talked about it a lot. I'm, I'm very an internal kind of person. I think I sent you away from the hospital on that day, the day that I had the miscarriage and I was having my DNC, I sent you away, didn't I? Yeah, you did. Um, <laughs> I got sent over to the factory outlet of Homebush. <laughs> I do remember that actually. I got a handbag out of that, so it wasn't the worst. wasn't the worst decision of my life. But I guess from my perspective, what's it like as a as a bloke? Um, you know, you're in the big smoke, and your wife is going through a miscarriage. Who do you talk to? What do, who do you turn to? What do you, what do you, how do you how do you deal with it? Well, I suppose, um, yeah. In terms of talking, you know, us uh, country blokes are, are renowned for not really sharing information information willingly, and as a result, we don't tend to talk about stuff like that. Uh, and um, and yeah, it's just not something that we generally talk about, uh, particularly not with. Um, not with friends or anyone, maybe with our parents a little bit, but that's about it. Is that what you, is that what you did? You you spoke to your mum, did you? Yeah, I spoke to mum and dad. I think dad took it harder than I did. Actually, I do remember Tony being really upset. For it, this. Uh, it was this. It was disappointing, um, but you know, you know deep down that you're not the only person that's going, or the only people that are going through it. But it still doesn't hide that pain, nonetheless. Did you did you talk to any of your blokes? Did you talk to any of your mates about it? No, you didn't. It, no, did anyone ask you about it? Uh, outside of family, no. Isn't really. that so? Not only did you not talk about it, but 
the other blokes who would be really aware because our friendships kind of work in that we're all like their couple friends. They would have been aware that it was happening. No one kind of shouldered up and said, oh, mate, how are you going? I think a lot of people find it, um, yeah, particularly if they've been through it themselves, they find it very difficult to talk about because, uh, you know, they, they know that it's a painful subject and then some people aren't all that open about talking about things like that. Yeah, so in the bush it's still probably a taboo subject for some, particularly men. Possibly. Yeah. So um, how did you kind of quantify that? Did you, mostly through your parents and through myself, you kind of talked it out and... Yes, yeah, mostly just with with you and mum and dad and our respective family. If you had your time again or if you knew a bloke going through it now, would you... Would you just mention it? Yes, you, you just ask, you know, how they're getting on. More of an acknowledgement. Than more, a big... more of an acknowledgement more than anything. Yeah, hey, mate, I see you and I understand what you're going through. Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. Radio. So that's a, that's a interesting that it's not even talked about. I think that's a common theme throughout um, male rural mental health is that there's an acknowledgement, but there's little unpacking of what actually is going on for an individual. Um, I'm going to skip ahead a bit because what we really wanted to focus on is yourself today rather than me and your your experience of me. Um, we obviously had Eddie in 2020, which was a beautiful um, experience. And I, I think it was a really healing experience, like after the drought and having those miscarriages. Um then we started to think about Charlie in um, – we started to think about Charlie at the end of 2021, didn't we? We we started to think about him at the end of 2021 but probably really didn't start to get serious about it until the beginning of 2022. Yeah, yeah. And then midway through 2022, things really weren't going anywhere and – we went back to my beautiful obstetrician in Sydney and she started giving me some treatments, which included um, as many people who have had initial IVF treatments, it's tubal flushes and then the horrible, as Sophie and I talked about, Letrozole, which I just, it just sent me crazy. It really did. And it wasn't until someone like Monique sat me down she was like, do you understand what that's doing to your body? And I was like, no, no one's like, they've just given me this medication. Here, take this, you'll get pregnant. And she explained to me, hey, Jen, this is sending you into menopause and then it's making you, um, then it's giving you all the hormones like you're a teenager again. So the reason that you feel the way you're feeling is totally valid and you're not going insane. So I imagine that was a pretty crazy time for you because I remember being a bit of a wreck, like, I'd take this medication and I'd be really tired and zomped, like menopause and sweaty and irritable, and then I would stop taking it and then all the hormones would hit and I'd be like crying in the bottom of the shower and not knowing why I was crying. So <laughs> that would have been a bit of a mess. It it was, but, you know, I, I guess um, it you do take notice of the things like that and you you just be there. Yeah, right. So it's the seventh again, don't go anywhere, anywhere near Jen because she's just finished taking that medication and she will kill you. Yeah, that's, that was my advice to Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> 
So um, at what point did you start to, because you've never vocalised to me that you started to worry that you might have been the contributing factor around our fertility because we were start, we were doing things and they weren't working and there wasn't reasons why. When did those thoughts start to occur to you? Um, probably later in the year. Yeah, later, yeah. later in that year. And what was that like? Because you didn't vocalise it. You must have internalised it. Did you talk to anyone about it? No, just, you know, you'd think, you'd think about it and think, well, maybe the problem is me, but you, unless you go and get, unless you go and get tested, you don't know. So, um... We went to the local GP who um, decided to – no, we, we sat with – we'd made the decision to do IVF, hadn't we? We made the decision that we were going to do IVF and you were like, if we're going to spend all this money, we need to get healthy. And I said, if you're going to get healthy, I want you to see um, my nutritionist that I've been seeing that's put me on all these things and, you know, has been recommending different diets. And what I like about Monique is I knew I could sit her in front of Farmer Chris who – is not a particular fan of any type of quinoa or any ingredient that a hipster... I've eaten enough dirt in my time. I don't need to go and buy it from the supermarket. <laughs> You're not going to um, convince him to give up dairy or carbs or meat um, or eat quinoa or drink celery juice. So I needed somebody who was down to earth, who got blokes, who was going to be, be able to convince him to make a few changes and maybe take a few supplements. So Monique is amazing. She came in and she did that, but she started to ask some questions about why hadn't somebody essentially um, ran any tests on Chris. And she was she was flabbergasted because a nutritionist can order a semen analysis. And she said, it's just so easy. Why hasn't it been done? And so she actually wanted to run a heap of blood tests on you to just kind of get a baseline for what supplements you should take. Um, so we went back to the GP and, and, and got that done, didn't we? Yes. Which you were reluctant to do. Yeah, I hate needles. <laughs> hate them. <laughs> um, he was very, very reluctant. And when we went to the GP, she tried to look up his medical history and there was not very much there. I think there was a script for an asthma buffer. <laughs> She was like, where is your date? I was like, hiding. <laughs> you go to the doctor when you're sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, we went to the um, to our local GP, who's awesome, and she kind of was like the same with Monique. Oh, how's this been missed? And she ordered the test and she ordered a semen analysis and she ordered um, all of the bloods that Monique wanted. And we had a follow-up with Monique a couple of days later and we knew you'd had a recall from Maha, hadn't you? You had a recall from the GP saying, hey, you need to come and see me. And we were all laughing on the Zoom with Monique because we were like, oh, it'll be his cholesterol because he loves meat and, you know, he's a bloke and a farmer and loves a beer. And she was like, yeah, absolutely. And so it was about a month later we went we had Christmas it was Christmas shutdown and New Year's and a month later and mm. just through changing our diets and taking the supplements that Monique recommended over the next six weeks we actually fell pregnant and um I remember I went to the GP to have my pregnancy confirmed and she was like what are you doing here and I was like oh I just I really want you to confirm a pregnancy for me and she's like how the hell are you pregnant and I was like um same way Everybody else 
gets pregnant. You play with fire, you get burnt. <laughs> yeah, and she said to me, I don't know how you're pregnant. Your husband's testosterone is so low. That is why his semen analysis was irregular. Because um, at that stage, we'd seen IVF Australia. We'd seen bo- beautiful Dr. Raywan Tyranny. She was like, it's low. It's not the worst I've ever seen. You know, she started to put together a treatment plan for us, which we were going to start in the new year. Um, so we knew about the semen, but we weren't sure of why. And she said to me, he needs to get his butt in here. I've sent him several recalls. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, we know. He's cholesterol. He'll come and talk to you about it. And she was like, no, he's got, why did she say you had, hun? I don't know. She said he had diabetes. And, of course, working in allied health myself, I just went, oh, my gosh, that's why. And she was like, yeah, he's got diabetes. He needs to come and see me now. And I was like, right, well, um, I need to step outside and call him because he's going to have a mighty shock. And so what was that phone call like, taking that phone call? Uh, it's like being hit with a brick. Yeah. You could have struck, you know, struck me down with a with a feather because, um, you know, non-symptomatic at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't showing a single symptom. Of diabetes? No, not one. No. And so what was that? I, I know that initial consult with her was really scary. What was that like coming in? Because I guess the thing is, blokes don't talk about their health. So they're not going to talk about their fertility. And I said, I guess by you speaking, you're kind of trying to break it down a bit. Does that make sense? By saying, hey, look, I'm a bloke. I'm a farmer. This this crap happened to me. It could happen to you too. Ask the questions. Be party to the conversation. Don't let your wife go off and problem solve all these things and subject herself to this stuff. You need to be party to it as well. Yeah. And ask your mates. They've been through it too. Yeah, exactly. Um, they have. What do you think is one of the main contributing factors to your diabetes? Genetics. Genetics? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Do you think lifestyle contributed a little bit too? Probably not so much because uh, both parents, uh, well, dad had it and mum has it. Yep. And um, they, excuse me, they traced mine back to genetics. Yeah, I know that they. There's hemochromatosis in your family, and they've traced it back to. There's like millions of different types of diabetes. What's it been like making some of the lifestyle sh- lifestyle shifts in your social settings? Because, you know, um, country people, uh, you know, I think Sitka says this says this stuff really well when they say, you know, country people, the politicians turn up at the pub and they buy your beer, right? Um, everything socially is surrounded by a drink. And if you don't have a drink in hand, what's wrong with you? So when you first were diagnosed, you took it really seriously and you were really strict with yourself. And so what was that like, those changes? Initially, it was tough. And it it did feel kind of, excuse me, kind of isolated and, and probably... Yeah, isolated and probably a little bit alone, I suppose, in one respect. But, um, but once that once you detoxed and everything had um, started to settle down, everything started to turn around. You start to feel better. Yeah, because you've lost a significant amount of weight as well, haven't you? 
Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And so what about the fertility stuff, like having it confirmed that it was your diabetes that was causing you to have the low fertility, which was causing all of the issues? How did that feel like? Jail sentence. Yeah. It felt, <laughs> tell me why it felt like a jail sentence. Just because it's sort of initially like you think, well, you can't go and have your, you know, you can't go and have your favourite food. You can't have, um, you know, if you want to have a snack, you know, Biscuits in particular are out of the equation for the time being. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it was having to totally change diet and, um, well, not totally change, but make some significant change. And, yeah, you think at the time, you know, this is pretty tough. But, um, you know, after once everything started to settle down, you'd think, you you don't miss it. Don't miss it anymore. No. What about when it was confirmed that it was male fa- um, male fertility factor that was contributing to the issues? How did you feel then? Um. Well, I, I suppose it kind of confirmed my initial suspicion that. Um, that it was me, and in a lot of cases, the infertility does actually come from the male. I think the really um, huge, large misconception is, and that we really need to break down barriers, particularly in, in rural settings, is that it's 50-50. When it comes out at the end of the day and all the data and statistics are looked at for people who are accessing IVF, 50% is female factor fertility issues and the other 50% is male. It's really even, which I think surprised you when we talked about it. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Did you talk to anyone about about that? About infertility? Yeah. No. You haven't talked to anyone? No. It's, um, no, I, I guess it's sort of, um, you know, I, I think it's something that you don't really you know, go and yell out in the yell out in the streets. Hey, you know, I, um. I'm in not infertile, but not very fertile. Yeah, right. But there'd be other people going through it, so somebody has to break the the barrier. Like someone has to be the sounding board. Yeah, to a point. Um, but you know, it's just one of those things that people won't admit to unless they're pushed on it. So, do you feel do you feel that there's an uh, an element of shame associated with it? Oh, I think there could be. Yeah. Yeah. Is that how you feel? No. Okay. Yes. Good. Good to know because there shouldn't be because I think if it, I think we've talked about it and if the roles were reversed, you wouldn't want me to feel that way. No, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to jump ahead again. Um so we've had beautiful Charlie who has remained quiet, which is honestly a goddamn sight miracle. Um so I want to talk about what it was like because when Charlie was born, he had TTN, which I I know it's like trachea something, but essentially it means he didn't get a good squeeze on when he was born. And so he has, yeah, he was born with amniotic fluid on his lung. He went straight to special care when he was born, which was a really different experience to what when Eddie was born. How was that? Because I know those first 48 hours, which was Father's Day as well, were pretty rough. They were, pre- they were pretty rough, but... It's um, you know that the the time they're going to spend in there in the scheme of things is minimal, 
and that he's in the best he was in the best place that possible for him to be at that time um and by also by being in there uh when when you got fluid on the lungs that you know it's going to help them no end long term so he doesn't hopefully doesn't end up you know with something like uh, asthma or or anything like that how did you go um managing being a husband and a dad and having a baby in the NICU? Well, it's just it's just something you put your head down and bum up and you just go about it. You don't you don't really think that much about it. And with Eddie running around I really didn't have a lot of time to think that much about it. <laughs> Uh, the best way to describe our toddler is as a sheepdog. If you do not run him, he will eat the skirting boards. He is full on. When we're in Sydney, I was kept saying to the nurses, he's like a cat on cocaine. He's just so full on and so focused on what he wants to do, which is actually destruction, not construction. <laughs> he's a tough kid. We say that Eddie doesn't look for mischief. It finds him. Yeah, he, he love him dearly and he's the best and he has the most cheeky smile, but my God, he gives us grey hairs. So, okay, so th- that was kind of like, did, did you talk to anyone about it? Did you? Did any of your mates reach out and be like, hey, that's a really crappy time or? Yeah, people did. My phone ran pretty hot there for a couple of days um, while he was in the um, NICU at the hospital. Um, yeah, just from... Parents, family, close friends ringing up to uh, see how we were all getting on. And, um, yeah, which was much appreciated. Which is really interesting because when it was your kid, everybody was like, oh, right, call, check in, make sure everything's okay. But when it's actually you, everyone's like, oh, I don't know how to approach that subject with people. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that really interesting for country people to think about? I don't think it's just a country person thing. It's... Uh, people in general, because there's been a lot of um, you know, the subject we're talking about. Um, a lot of people don't know how to broach that with other people. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, it's a bit like when someone passes away, you know, you want to um, you know, pass on your condolences and stuff like that, but you don't know, you don't know what you're going to say to that person to try and try and make them feel better and put them at ease a little bit. Yeah. So if there was a country bloke out there that had just been given the news that they had male factor infertility, would you want them to reach out? Yeah. You'd be happy for them to talk? Yes. Yeah. Retrospectively, if you had someone in your circle now that had male factor infertility, would you reach out to them? Be like, hey, been there. You want to talk? Yeah, uh, probably a little bit, yes. Yeah. I know that you're – we've talked a lot about how you're super passionate about your health and how important your health is to you because, you know, time with family is all that you have at the end of the day and and prolonging your life and making sure you're keeping yourself healthy. And I want to make it really clear, Thumb, Chris is not the type of person you're going to see out on a deadly treadly. He doesn't run. He certainly doesn't go to the gym. Um, he's... Gym's a pub, right? <laughs> the type of bloke that waits is, you know, turning sausages on a barbecue. Um, 
he, but you, you're really passionate about, particularly even your friends, just having that conversation. Like you didn't have any symptoms. If we hadn't have been trying for a baby, you probably still. I mean, Maha was pretty direct with you that you would have had a heart attack by now. Possibly, yeah, and I would have been in the same situation. My brother-in-law was at the same age. Yeah, yeah. So you're pretty passionate about blokes going and getting a health checkup. Yeah, you, particularly those of us that are, you know, in their late thirties, early forties, we're the highest age rate for heart attacks. Yeah, which but, I think you were surprised by. Which did surprise me. I would have thought it would have been people more in their their fifties, but no, it's people in their late. 30s, early 40s, uh, particularly men, that's the highest rate for um, for heart attack. Yeah, yeah. And this, the fact of the matter is that, like, particularly farmers, they're, they're often working by themselves or, and on farms that probably, you know, quite a distance from ambulances and hospitals, you know, your best way is prevention, not cure, essentially. Yeah. Um, so you're really want your mates to go out and get a health check and maybe consider having a f- few less beers and a few less steaks and a few less creams, ice creams, yeah. um, just to just think about their health and think about their families. Yeah, particularly if you've got if you've got young families. It's not so much about doing it for yourself, it's doing it for your wife and kids. Yeah, but yeah. You've got to think about them. Well, if you um, are a bloke out there and you are facing any of these issues, I know Pharmacris would definitely be more than happy to take your call, take a text, take a DM, um, add him on Instagram. He would be more than happy to have Probably a chat. Probably more Facebook than Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> he loves a yarn. <laughs> he usually is an hour late wherever he goes because he's found someone to talk to. Darling, thank you so much for coming and talking. I think this is a really important subject that people need to talk about and if, you know, if we can break it down. I know that I've reached out to friends that are going through fertility treatments and being like, hey, what about the blokes? Are they being party to? Are they getting involved? Um, and some of the questions that we've, some of the stuff we've been through has prompted questions for them. So if it helps one person, it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Fellas, go get yourself checked. Go and see the doctor. Thank you, darling. Herd recognises the traditional lands and waters on which this podcast was recorded.